Have you ever seen uh, or noticed this, I, I, that you can do the right thing and it still not be right? You, you ever had that where you, you have this experience? I, I had it recently uh, where depending on your motives, depending on your heart, it doesn't matter what you do. It is even though you did the right thing, it still wasn't right? Yeah, you're not with me. Let me give you an example. Uh, you're like, no, because if you do the right thing, then it's right. Not every time. So here's the, here, let me give you an example. Uh, a few weeks ago was Mother's Day. You remember Mother's Day? That incredible Hallmark holiday that was made up for, um, because moms are awesome, I mean. Uh, and, but it, it, I was in the doghouse Mother's Day. Now, I don't, I thought we went to, we went away the week before, and in my mind, that counted as Mother's Day. Uh, however, I didn't verbalize it, per se, and so on the actual day of Mother's Day, and that's, a, that's one of my work days, uh, on the actual day of Mother's Day, um, my kids get up in the morning, and uh, they wanted to make uh, my wife breakfast, and I love that. I had that thought, but I didn't think they were going to get up in time before I left, so I wasn't planning on it. So my daughter gets up early enough, and within earshot, uh, she can hear this as she's still laying in bed, and Ella says, hey, Daddy, Daddy, I'd, uh, can we make uh, Mom breakfast? And I go, oh, absolutely. I, I wasn't planning on it, but we can. And my wife hears that. Now, we made her breakfast, it was beautiful, amazing cinnamon pancakes with uh, a gourmet breakfast egg sandwich and uh, with uh, prosciutto and all kinds of stuff on it. Brought that into her, but it didn't matter because she heard the words that I said right before that. Now, I didn't mean it the way it came out, but she can only hear it through what I said, that I didn't plan on it, which means I didn't think about it. It wasn't a thoughtful response. It was simply a reaction, a reaction to my, my kid's request. And so on Mother's Day, which, by the way, I forgot to get her a card to... Um, I know, I know, but I didn't, my wife's not really a words person, so I just assumed, wait, why do you want a card? You, I say these things to you, and it's like, you know, BBs off a tank, you don't care whether, you know, words or not, but she wanted that card, and, and so even though I made her breakfast in bed, I did the right thing, it still wasn't Right. Now, I tried to make it right, by the way, because I was in the doghouse. I, I mean, I was really bad, uh, and, and I was like, okay, how can I make it right? So I take the kids. We go shopping for mom uh, for at a place where she kind of likes and get her flowers, and I come in, and then again, I, I'm just, I'm so dense, guys. Just learn, from any of the new, newly married, learn from my mistakes. This is almost 12 years in, and I'm still making the mistakes. Um, but I come in, and as I come in, I, I, something catches me off the side. I'm like, oh, I want to make sure and take care of that. So I bring her gift in, and I just drop it next to her, and I go on and go, and she's like, wait a second. And the way she told it this morning, uh, even though she likes it, is like, yeah, you got me a calendar that's half off because it was half the year has already been gone. <laughs> 
I tried. I mean, come on, God. I tried to do what was right. But something, there's something missing. Isn't it true? I mean, there's something missing. It's not, just, it's not just being able to do what's right. There's something deeper to it, isn't it? Because you can do what's right and still not be right. In fact, the Apostle Paul would say it this way. He said, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm simply a clanging gong or resounding cymbal. It's just noise. If love is missing from it, it is meaningless. If I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I can tell you the deepest secrets of the world and of God himself, and yet do not have love, if that is missing, then it equals a big that zero. In fact, and he would go on to say, if I sacrifice my bodies to the flame, if I take the full extent of the ultimate sacrifice and on, he says, without love, if that's missing, even though externally everything is right, it still doesn't make it right. Now that, by the way, is the difference between being caught up in a religion or experiencing a relationship with Jesus. Religion says, religion says this, as long as I function externally and do what's right, then everything is okay. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The heart is what really matters. The heart and why you do what you do. The problem isn't externally, it is internally. Religion, by the way, always leads, we said this last week, always leads to legalism. It is rules devoid of relationship, rules and just a list and a check mark, and I do this, and if I don't do this, I feel guilty, and if I do do this, then I feel good, and it makes me, as long as I'm feeling good with God, and I have this checklist, but it has no relationship connected to it. Now, Jesus, Jesus always leads to love. In fact, he says, all of the scriptures, all of the laws and the commands point to one fundamental law, the law of love. And love isn't anti-rules, by the way. It isn't against rules. Love says instead of uh, where legalism is rules at the expense of relationship, love, love is rules for the sake of relationship. You ever thought about that? The reason I have rules for my kids is because I love them. The reason they can't play in the street isn't because I'm a mean dad. Isn't because I'm out to get them and I don't want them to have fun. It's because I love them. And when Jesus looks at the law and the commands, instead of reading it religiously, he reads it through the lens of a loving father that says, at the very heart, my heart is love. And everything I've written in here is an I love you to you that you'd experience the best life possible. Now, we've been asking in this series, we asked it last week, one fundamental question. It's the question that differentiates us from being religious people or Jesus people. Religious people who live by rules and sacrifice relationship for the sake of rules or Jesus people who, who experience the relationship with the God of the universe 
and say, you know what? It's all for the sake of love. If that ingredient is missing, it doesn't matter what I do because I can do all the right things and still not be right. And here's the question. Does. Does what I know cause my love to grow? See, religious people really focus on being smarter, really focus on knowing exactly the right things and and having it all there. And the Apostle Paul would later say that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Does what you know cause your love for God to grow where you begin to go, oh my God, you are great and you are awesome and your love for others to grow? And if you ever looked at the life of Jesus, what you would see is that Jesus is distinctly unreligious, so much so that it is the religious leaders who plot to kill him. He was so distinctly unreligious that he was known, had a reputation for hanging out with sinners. That was not a good thing, by the way. You know, today when we hear Jesus' friend of sinners, like, oh, that's so great. Then it, it, it was a, a put-down. He, he was so distinctly unreligious and so caught up and believed that, that the whole of law pointed to the love relationship with the God of the universe that he was known as, as a drunkard because he hung out at parties all the time. And he extended grace to those that the religious people, because they were in the right place, because they had right. And religious is always about, and we'll talk about this next week, is like, as long as I'm good and I'm right, then I don't want to be around people who aren't right And Jesus said, no, 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 the heart of God is for those to experience my love. Does what you know cause your love to grow? If you got your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 2, verse 1. We're six weeks into the book of Mark, and we're now in chapter 2. We've made it all the way through one chapter. Way to go, church. Here we go. We'll spend the next 45 weeks in the book. I'm just kidding. I don't know how long we'll be in Mark. But I want to give you a picture. Here we see this incredible picture of Jesus. And we see multiple response. And in fact, we're going to unpack four different responses. You're going to see the response of the crowd around Jesus. You're going to see the response of the person who's desperately needing the help of Jesus. You're going to see the response of the friends who brought the friend who needed help from Jesus. And then we're going to see the response of the religious here. And I want you in the background be asking this question and seeing how they're processing this. Does what you know cause your love to grow? Chapter 2, verse 1 of Mark. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, this is his home base. Remember, it's on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, the northwestern corner, major trade route. This is where Jesus launched out and did his Galilean ministry. The people heard that he had come home. Now, some people think this was actually Jesus' literal home, and, but many people believe it's either Simon and Andrew's uh, home, the brother's home, uh, what was his base of ministry. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. A massive crowd, he, they hear Jesus is here, and so he preaches to them. Now, the ancient um, uh, hospitality is, the way they would have it in their home, is they would leave the door open during the day as a welcome sign to anyone who came by, and they'd leave it open, and anyone was welcome in. It's just how they welcomed and loved one another in that culture. And so the door is open, and they hear that Jesus is there, and a ton of people start showing up. They start packing in the house. I mean, Jesus isn't prepared. He's coming home for a little R&R. He's hanging out. He's ready to just get away and hang by the coast and have a little seaside vacation. He's had a big 
busy stint of ministry, and all of a sudden his house is full, and now there's a line outside the door, and they're crowding around, and instead of going, hey, guys, come on, come on, I just need some time. I, I, I've, I've put in some good work. You, you didn't catch my first tour in the Galilean area. I'm going to do a second tour back by popular demand. We're going to go hit it up. He says, you know what? You're here. Let me, let, me, let me teach you. Let me teach you the word. Let me tell you God's heart. Now, verse 3. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, in the ancient day, most homes were just about a big one-bedroom home. You lived in that, and you did all your cooking outside. Uh, it had a flat roof and a stone staircase on the outside. There's about, uh, there's cross beams that are about three feet apart uh, that went through there, and the roofs were flat in such a way, and then thatch, and then they put mud. The, the top of the house was an extra living space in that day. It, it was where you could hang out at the end of the day. Um, it is where you know, you'd dry your laundry and different things like that. And so it was filled with um, different uh, mud, and so that's why they had to dig through it. Once a year, they would have to re-kind of cover their roof to keep it uh, from the rain covering it. And so these men, see, they can't get to Jesus, and I love this. They, they didn't go, well, you know what? It's a good try. Hey, better luck next time. You know what? If we get here earlier tomorrow, maybe we'll get in. They didn't let a setback hold them back. In fact, they looked at it and go, well, you know what? We came to see Jesus. We know you need Jesus, so we're going to vandalize the property. <laughs> we're we're going to climb the roof. If we can't get in from the door, let's make a skylight, you know? And that's what they did. Can you just imagine Jesus in the middle of teaching, and, and all of a sudden you begin to see stuff, debris drop, and people begin to scoop back. They're like, what in the world is going on? on. How's how's this happening? And then all of a sudden, you see the light open up, and you see these guys, and they begin to drop a mat down. You're like, wait a second. And Jesus says this. He saw their faith, and he says something so interesting. We'll hit it in a second. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I just wonder, I just wonder for those guys that went through all that work, if that wasn't disappointing. That we didn't come for you to forgive his sin. We came that you might heal him so he might walk. His desire, his longing is he's a cripple. He's on a mat. He can't move. And your response to our faith to this moment, forgiven? Come on. And there's another response there as well. Verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? In fact, they're exactly right. He's blaspheming. If he's not God, he can't forgive sins. Who can forgive sins but God? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they're thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Now, from an external view, it's easier to say to you, your sins are forgiven, because I can't prove that I actually accomplished it. I can't, 
Your sins are forgiven. Well, how do I know? Because I said so. It's good enough, right? Or take up your mat and walk. Now, now Jesus says the first, and he validates what he said by the second thing he said to the man. So he looks at the man. Now notice this. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, or hang on. Verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now, there's an old rabbinic saying, and this is common in their day, and Jesus is confronting what they believe to be right with, with what, who Jesus is and what he came to do. The rabbinic saying was this, there is no sick man healed of his sickness until all his sins have been forgiven. This is what they believed, and yet Jesus is doing all these healings, and now he's confronting them with the reality of who he is and why he came. This is foreshadowing what he has come to do on the cross and finally forgive everyone's sin and bring restoration to humanity to God. And he says, hang on, what, you need to know why I came. And, and you have this saying, there's no sick person that can be healed unless all his sins are forgiven. Here's what I want you to let you know. You are forgiven, and the way you know it is I say you're healed. And they're confronted with the reality of who Jesus is. Now, there's a few different responses. There's a few different responses that we see in a few different groups of people. And I think if we would take the time, that if we look at each of them, I think God wants to speak specifically to each of us, maybe in all four groups of people. I know that was true for me this week where God began to shine some lights in my own life on each of these areas. And I I just encourage you, as we begin to dive into this, as we look at this, would you allow the Spirit of God, would you allow the work in you, have a sensitive heart where you go, okay, God, what do you want to teach me? What what work do you want to do in me? What is the heart work you're starting in this moment? The first group of people was the crowd. The crowd was attracted to Jesus. I mean, and you just think about it. You got this miracle worker. You got, he's a powerful teacher. They're attracted to Jesus. And, and, but here's the thing. They were unaware, they were unaware that they hindered access to Jesus. You notice that? They crowded in. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't like they were trying to do this, but they were so attracted and so caught up in the moment, they were completely unaware that they hindered access to Jesus. And I began to ask this question just personally, and I want to ask it, and we're going to, I want to kick it around a little bit in here. This is, but, but is in what ways do we, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, hinder access to Jesus? In what ways do we today do that? Where, where we're attracted and we're, we're gathering, but we might hinder access to Jesus. Just, I, this is like the time where we talk together, okay, so you can talk in church. But uh, seriously, what ways do we actually do that today? Anybody? Good. That's good. That's awesome. Come on now. What, come on. Give it, give it to me. You know. Huh? Being clicky, sure. We become the us for no more club. We like just staying in our own unique, safe environments, and well, and 
uh, keep the, everyone out there because, woo, that's scary out there, and let's just stay safe right here. Absolutely, that's a great one, being clicky or a club. What else? Come on, come on. You know what, that is a great one, man. That is really good, absolutely. Because isn't it true? Let's just think about this. We, we can sit in silence. And the greatest Christian, the greatest follower of Jesus that your coworker or your neighbor will ever know is you. And their whole understanding of Jesus is some crazy, loony, yelling, screaming, judgmental, and yet you're his hands and feet. I love that, opening and being, speaking up when it's easier to stay silent. Anything else before we move on? Oh, yes. That's a great one, Nathan. Always trying to have the right answer. Man, how big of a turnoff is that when you always have to know exactly what's right? And that's re- more religious, right? It's like, well, I got this all figured out. I-, I think one of the most powerful things we can say is, I don't know. Yeah, that's a great one. And it turns people off because they're like, man. And, and it makes us judgmental, doesn't it? Did-, did you know the Bible actually tells us we're not to judge those outside the faith? Paul writes about this. And yet somehow we expect those who don't know Jesus to live up to the standards and calling of those inside. Why don't we work more on living it out ourselves instead of expecting other people who don't know him and aren't empowered by the Spirit of God to live it out? That's a really good spot for an amen, by the way. I just wanted to let you know that. Let me give you, uh, I don't know if I have any more. You know, uh, the last thing, let let me say this. Think about our language. Well, I, I, you know, you've heard it coined maybe even that we have Christianese. You ever, you ever heard that? That we say words that if you really think about it from a person who has no relationship, it makes no sense. And we say these words like, oh, bless your heart, which I don't even know what that means. And we use words but don't unpack them. I, I lived in the South, so I do know what that means. It's a, a backhanded compliment. Um, grace, forgiveness, mercy. But we have all kinds of terminology that's insider language that all, all you know what it makes people feel? I'm so far behind. I could never... No, man, I, I, I don't ever want to ask a question because I don't want to reveal how much I don't know. Some of you have been there. You've been in a small group, and you're, you're, you're like, man, I really want to know about these, but it seems like everyone knows what they're talking about. Here's what I found. We use a lot of words, and we don't even know what they mean. The crowd, they were unaware that they hindered access to Jesus. The friends, listen to this, they cared enough to carry their friends to the feet of Jesus. They cared enough to carry their friends to the feet of Jesus. They were concerned for their friend. They saw his state and they were hurting for him. They were concerned for him. Now notice this. They believed that Jesus could help and would help. That he alone was the way and the only one that could save their friend. So they brought him to his feet. They didn't just sit and pray about it, by the way. 
That's what we do in kind of church world. You hear something big, oh, let me pray about it. And, I, and I'm, I'm all for prayer. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm all for prayer. But the combination of pray hard and work hard, they didn't just sit back and say, oh, let's pray about it. They said, let's move. We're compelled to action. How do I carry you to Jesus? Here's what I'm clear on. The Bible says, Jesus, God says, I desire that none shall perish, but all come to know me. That is his will and his longing for every person on the face of the planet. So if that is true, then I can move forward in confidence knowing that I am going to carry my friend to the feet of Jesus, and I don't need to pray about it. It is already his will. Now, they didn't let a setback hold them back. They didn't let a setback, an obstacle in their way. They showed up, and they didn't let it hold them back. And we do this a lot, guys. I do this a lot. Where you go, you hit something, you hit a roadblock, and go, it must not be God's will. You know, I have a friend, my next-door neighbor, um, and and he's moving, and I've told you about him, and I've been praying for him. And something happened, and he was really kind of open to God, and I know if, um, his business failed, and that's why he's moving. And all of a sudden, he just got such a hard heart, and we can't even talk about um, Jesus at all. And, uh, and, and honestly, he's doing some stuff that really just bugs me. <laughs> I mean, it just, it just kind of annoys me, and he's doing, he's like putting all his, like, this sounds so silly, this is how petty I am. He's putting all of his yard waste in front of my house, and it really bugs me, you know? I'm like, I'm Jenny, I'm going to tell him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, keep your, da- uh, da- okay, mm-hmm. keep your stuff on that side of the, you know, I was a little heated about yard waste. No, no. The setback was somehow, he just doesn't care, and I did enough. I've told him about Jesus. I've invited him. I've loved him as best I can. I'm good. I've given up. Who am I to give up when God didn't give up on me? His faithfulness that we sang about earlier is extended to me when I didn't deserve it, and when I gave up on myself, he did not give up on me. How could I give up on him? And he, the friends, did not let a setback hold them back. Friends cared enough to carry their friend to the feet of Jesus. And make no mistake, by the way, there are people today that have carried you to the feet of Jesus. Those that showed up this morning at 7 a.m. to set up so that you could be here. Those that are running lights and sound and computer and working with kids and worship, they are carrying you to the very feet of Jesus. Then we find the paralytic. The paralytic uh, just find it so interesting. His deepest desire was not his greatest need. Did you notice that? Jesus addressed his greatest need before he addressed his deepest desire. His deepest desire was to be healed, was to walk, and unintentionally we come to God with our desires, and if you help me with my desires, then everything will be all right. You know, if that marriage starts working out right, God, would you fix that with this relationship, with that job, this success over here, and we live in this if only blank, then 
then I'll finally be there. And we come to God, and some of us are here this morning because we came hoping that God would just give us a little bit of boost to help us then get back to pursuing our own desires. And Jesus said, I want to I want to give you what you can't get. I alone am the only one that will fully satisfy your deepest longings. I am the one you need. You need forgiveness. You need to experience grace. You need me. And you can chase after all those things and you can try to fix all those things. And at the end of the day, if you get that figured out, you'll still realize you're missing out. Because by the way, your deepest desire is not necessarily your greatest need either. And Jesus says, I want to meet you there. I want to bring hope and life, and it's me. Only I can save you. Only I can heal you. Only I can forgive. And then finally, the religious you know, sis, the religious, their knowledge of God blinded them to their need for God. These are smart guys. But something didn't connect between the 18 inches from their head to their heart. Externally, they were doing the right thing and yet were so wrong. And here, here's the reason why I think this happens. It is one of the biggest barriers to actually knowing something is to think that we have it all figured out. You ever notice that? Uh, one of the biggest barriers to actually truly knowing something is to think that you have it all completely figured out. My kids are doing swim lessons right now. And uh, my youngest son, he's four years of age, Miles, uh, he's awesome, but, but he thinks he knows how to swim. He had one swim lesson. He said, he came to me. He said, Dad? I said, yeah, what's up, Miles? I know how to swim. Said, oh, do you really? Yeah, I took the swim lesson. Yeah, so now you know how to swim? Yeah, I know how to swim. You know what he did the next time he saw a pool? Guess. Yeah. You know what? He don't know how to swim. He sank. He needed rescuing. We do that all the time, don't we? And we go, no, I got it all figured out, and we put God in a box, and we say, no, I know this, and it blinds us to our need. See, the confession of the religious is simply this. I don't know but I know the one who knows. When you can get to that point, I don't know. And the more I begin to know of God and the more I begin to know of myself, the more I realize I don't know. And I am satisfied with simply knowing the one who knows it all. But the religious, their knowledge, blinded them to their need for God. So, the question for us this morning the question is then, where do you find yourself? We've talked about four people and four responses, the crowd, the friend, the paralytic, the religious, but how about you? It's not enough for us to just engage in a, a mental exercise and go, oh man, I learned some new things. If we do not apply it, we will fall into simply being a religious community that is devoid of the power of God and will not see this city change. So, 
So, how about you? Where are you? Who are you? Where do you most identify? And like I said earlier, I identify in all four areas. Now, maybe you identify more with the crowd. You're coming, you're attracted to him. And the application for you would be to move from being a fan of Jesus to being a follower of Jesus. Now, can I just say something? Because today in our culture, we've kind of been, in the church per se, been beaten the crowd and kind of against the crowd. What was Jesus' response to the crowd? It's in, your, it's in the Bible, by the way, if you want to look it up. What was his response? Somebody help me. I didn't study this part. Compassion. Was he angry that they were attracted to him? Oh, what did he do? He took the moment to teach them, to help them move from being a fan and just simply being an outsider to being a, a full follower experiencing How about you? Maybe it's the time where you just simply go, you know what, I've been a fan, I've been attracted, I've been, I've been hanging around, but I, I'm, in, I'm a part of the crowd. And, and you know what, there's the season where you're part of the crowd, but there's the invitation is, okay, God, I want to follow you. I, I want to give all of my life to you. I want you to have Everything. I realize that me managing my own life only makes a mess. Will you take control? It would make sense that the God of the universe who loves you, who has all knowledge, all wisdom, all power, all control, he would know how to best live out your life. And you go, okay, I follow you. I'm ready to give my life to you. Maybe you're there. Maybe you need to move from being a fan to a follower. And maybe you're in the friend stage here. Not like in the dating, we're in the friendship stage. But let me ask you this question. What does it look like to really carry someone to Jesus? I mean, honestly. And I got this phrase from a guy named Andy Stanley. I love it. I go back to it over and over. But here's what I think it looks like for us. That we'd simply do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. That we'd do for one person around us that we wish we could do for everyone. See, the reason we don't carry others to the feet of Jesus is we get overwhelmed by the need a lot of the times. Or we don't even see it. But a lot of times we look and we, we realize, I can't do everything for everyone. And there's so much and they're pulling and tugging at me and I just can't do it. But the reality, the truth is, is we can do something for someone, can't we? Who's the one? Who's the one that you need to do for one and you realize, I can't do it for everyone. I can't give my time for everyone that way. I can't give financially that way for everyone, but I can for you. Know that it will cost you time. Know that it will cost you energy and money. It requires effort. You will hit roadblocks. And I believe, I, I believe it takes a team. Notice there was four guys and there's more in the text. Say, okay, what, what are we going to do? What's the impact that we're going to have? And then the paralytic. Maybe you're here and you identify with him. And you're in a place where you're going, God, I, I need help with my marriage. 
God, I need help with the anger issues and the intense stuff and the attitudes that are going on inside of my own soul. God, I need, I need help. I need help with my kids. I don't know what to do, and I, I feel like they're a lost cause, and I just need help, God. Would you help me show me how to raise these kids? God, I need help at work. And the invitation to you is to ask for help when it would be easier to suffer silently. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people that share some of the deepest pains and wounds that they've been carrying for years. And I'm the first person they've ever told. And it breaks my heart when you realize someone's been carrying that for a decade or more and hurt and pain and they've been suffering silently and they didn't get experience God's healing and grace and hope. Would you have the courage, and it takes courage, friends, to ask for help when it'd be easier to suffer silently? And then finally, maybe you find yourself with the religious. You know a lot about God, but you don't really know God. It's a head pursuit. And so in that, you feel like you're doing right, but because your heart isn't engaged and because it is not connected, it really isn't right. All that I do without love is nothing. And the invitation here is to humble yourself and do heart work. Humble yourself. Where you go, God, I'm sorry, that's where I'm at. God, you're God, I'm not. Who am I to have put you in a box? And then you do heart work. God, would you do the work in me? And that's the simple confession of God, whatever you show me, I'll do. He responds to that type of prayer every single time, by the way. God, if you show me, I'll do it. Now, don't play games with them, do it. But he's probably show you, I need, to, I need to have a conversation with someone. I need to tell them about this. Humble yourselves, do heart work. And then finally, what does it mean for us as a church? We are called to be a community that carries one another to the feet of Jesus. That is the life-changing type of community that when Christ said in uh, John 13, 34, a new command that I give to you, love one another the way I have loved you. By this, the whole world will know you are my disciples. He says, you carry one another to the feet of Jesus. You don't condemn one another. I was, uh, had the chance to be in Peru a few years back. And it was one of those trips, uh, I love seeing those that I went to Peru with. It was one of those trips that caught me deeply off guard. Uh, I've done missions trips where we've gone and built houses, and it's so great, and you can nail something in, and you see what you built. And this was one where we worked with this organization called Capernaum Kids, and, uh, and we're working with severely uh, mentally disabled kids. These kids were found by the government in the worstest, worstest? Hmm. 
the English is, is really goodest this morning, uh, in, the, in the worst of environments. Uh, one story of one girl, she was chained into a, a box of a bedroom. There was no um, furniture or anything. She was chained like a dog, forced to defecate there. They would throw food in there, and then she would be raped over and over again. And here it is a girl that is severely mentally handicapped. Multiple kids over and over with this type of environment that in that country they're devalued, not treated as human, and as a result treated like trash or worse, disposable. There's no place for them, and so the government puts them in this place. They don't have the capacity to truly care for their needs, and so the place where they keep them feels more like a prison than care. And this organization comes alongside and loves these kids in the name of Jesus. And these kids had never been outside of these confines once they got there, and they said, hey, we want to take them camping. We want to take them camping. I'm like, that's crazy. I mean, many of these, there's many that could not walk. I mean, 18-year-old kids, I call them kids, but wearing diapers, you have to change their diaper. Their faces, I'm sorry to be crap, but are deformed and just drool coming down. I, I just got to be honest, as, as a person that hasn't dealt in this environment, it was awkward and scary and... And uncomfortable as a carrying a guy, and as he's just slobbering, as he smells, and as there's poo in his diaper, and I mean, he's an old teenager, and and we took these kids camping, and we took them out there with this, and it was amazing to watch these kids get to get out for the first time and get to you know do all the things that every other kid got to do. I mean, we took them horseback riding. We'd pick them up and take them on these horses and, I mean, walk them back and forth. And, uh, I mean, they literally got to sleep in tents. And, and it was just incredible to hear them sing in the most honest and the most broken way their hearts out to Jesus. And what I found in that moment in the moments where we literally were carrying at points these kids off the bus into the wheelchair and helping them get from here to there, I, what I found was they had carried me to the feet of Jesus. And in their face, I saw my Savior more clearly than I ever had before. And in their love and their reckless abandonment to accept and to welcome some stranger. We are called as a community to carry one another to the very feet of Jesus. We are called to be a church that's deeply concerned for those around us. That believes Jesus is the only one who can save and satisfy. That doesn't just... Say, I'll pray for you, but is moved to action. It won't let us set back, hold them back. As we close this morning, I want to apply it in a very symbolic way. We're going to take communion, and communion is uh, where we celebrate our union with Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. His death, pain for our sins, his resurrection, 
that we might have life with him. The elements, the bread, his body represent, uh, his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. And I want to do it in a very communal way, in a way that symbolizes that we're carrying one another to the very feet of Jesus. And so as we worship and as the first song is played, I just invite you to get up from your seat and the elements are on that side and on that side. And invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to partake with us. If you're not, just sit back and enjoy the music. But I'm going to invite you to, there's someone that's going to start off and they're going to read over you about communion, a prayer over you. And then you take the elements and then that you would take that sheet of paper and then you read it over the next person. And in so doing so, may we in this moment carry one another to the feet of Jesus. Will you stand as we pray? Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for your grace and for your love. God, I pray for the person that desperately needs to experience your healing touch and step out in courage and ask for help. Would you give them courage? And I pray for the person that's been a part of the crowd for so long and that you would move them today to step forward and say, God, I'm all yours. I want to follow you, everything I have. Would you give them the courage to take that step? God, I pray for those of us that are stuck in our religious blocks and thinking that you would break us free from that, that we might show your grace and love. May we be a church, God. May we be a church that carries each other to your feet. In Jesus' name, amen.